put a mass my opinions on things. Well, as I say, we're on a roll into this brave new world. And it's amazing how, isn't it, how everyone adapts to it. They adapt and adapt and adapt, exactly as they've always done in the past in major world wars and things, exactly as people like Bertrand Russell said they would do, because they've been used so many times before. We could adapt into anything. And then, before you know it, it's all quite normal. Therefore, war, or even the threat of war, or now this big thing called terrorism is used to the maximum and we adapt into a whole new way of living when the sky is falling at the same time and I'm going to go into that with more after these messages I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, talking about how we adapt to situations and how we've always adapted in the past with world wars and so on. And yet under this one today, this new world order that started in 2001, when an organization that already really had set itself up to rule the world and was completely interlinked with other countries and the heads of state and so on, went into action, our lives have really been turned upside down and yet we're not done yet because the next phase is to go ahead where under the threat of the environmental catastrophe with the change our entire way of living that includes the way you get raised maybe even if you get raised at all or even conceived for that matter and all the money you have to fork out for all the pollution that you personally are causing even when you purchase something and it's a big business that's flourishing already to do with carbon taxes and carbon trading and even buying up land for conservation under the guise of saving the, the planet. Massive business is all underway already. And believe you me, it's not for the ordinary people, but this is for total control. And we adapt and we adapt and we adapt. We adapt to the fact that we have to get searched when you go into big cities, all of this kind of stuff. And... Really, if you were living somewhere else and came into this environment, you would think that people were mad because the topics of conversation are trivia. They're, they're meaningless trivia as they adapt and go through things. They're still stuck on trivia because they're fed lots of trivia to keep them occupied. Remember what Skinner said, the behaviorist. He said, if you want to change people, an individual or society, he said, all you have to do is change something in their environment. And we adapt to that, you see. We adapt to the thing that's in there. Think of the television, even before that, the radio, and how Tavistock and the BBC realized that through serials, that's, that's continuous shows or a drama, where they leave you at the end of an hour with a cliffhanger where the hero is literally hanging over a cliff, they changed people's habits and to, to, to tune in the next day. They'd rush home to tune in the next day to see what happened to this hero. Behavior modification, very simple. And television, everyone's got that glowing box in their, their, their homes. You pass house after house at night, and all you see is that, that bluish-white glow from the windows as they're all sucking on the teeth of television, thinking they're being entertained, really thinking that. 
never knowing they're being brainwashed and downloaded with predictive programming from everything that's on there. You know, there's not a show, if you talk to producers, there's nothing on television in any movie or drama or whatever where the minutest thing that you see, even if you, if you can't remember seeing it, isn't debated and discussed by panels of people, right down to the, the kind of flower that will be in the, the little vase at the, at the outer part of the screen. Things which you would think are irrelevant. There's nothing there. So here you are thinking you're being entertained, passing your life away. And you've only got the one life to go. Passing so much hours per day off your life, your life force away, watching someone else's ideas and getting someone else's thoughts, professional people, people whose job it is is to get into your mind. And people think they're being entertained. It's fascinating when you sit back and think about it. But as I say, everyone's adapting to this whole terrorism thing. We've had terrorism since 2001, the fear of plagues coming. We've had the bank crashes, the bailouts of the bank crashes. We've had uh, uh, the coming pandemics with the avian flu. Now it's turned into swine flu. And yada, 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 one thing after another. Things that you couldn't have spread out over a century have been crammed in for the last few years because it's an agenda. It's an agenda well written about by big planners who publish lots of books about it to do with the utopia they would bring in where scientists under the age of reason would guide and control and actually order the world because after all, uh, they were the new secular priests. Secularism, where data and logic would rule over superstition. That's the world that they want to bring in. For those who know better how we should all live, will make us live that way. That's what it's about. And every one of the books I've mentioned before, written by the Russells, the Huxleys, the Wellses, and many, many others down to the present time, they were all utter control freaks. Every single one of them who just knew how we should all live. But what's amazing too is none of them differed from the other on the agenda of eugenics, uh, the ideal population size, what you should eat, and who should meet with whom, all of that stuff. None of them differed. And why was that? Because really behind it all is another religion. You don't understand what a religion is. It's a belief system. And these guys have a belief system. Because all they base everything on is theory. Aldo Huxley said that it could very well end up in a scientific dictatorship and he said it would be very severe on the people and the populations under a scientific dictatorship. But if there was to be a dictatorship, he would prefer it was a scientific one. Well, that's what we're under today. And science and psychology rules us all today. They use psychology in newspaper reports and everything you see on TV and government issuance of various important things, supposedly. They use psychologists and how to phrase things. This whole
whole specialized areas of psychology to do with phrases. Because, you see, we think in language. We think in language. And we are very much like computers in that way. I've said many times that a programmer of a particular computer, if he was asked a question to feed into that computer, should be able to tell you what the computer's answer will be because he knows that computer's logic and he knows its language. It has no option but to come to the answer that it's programmed to give. We're the same. We have a certain type of logic. That's what allows us to be ruled under tyranny through thousands of years under various guises. It's called naivety. That's what our logic is for the general population who are always kept in utter ignorance of reality. We're given lots of reasons, lots of excuses, and people with lots of letters behind their names will get up on television to tell us what the, the experts' opinions are, and we parrot that off. But we are living in a contrived fiction well planned though a scientific dictatorship here's an article here it's from the Telegraph the 9th of June 2009 and it says scientists faking results and omitting unwanted, unwanted findings in research Taking results and omitting inconvenient truths in scientific research is more widespread than originally thought, a study suggests, by Richard Allen, science correspondent. More than two-thirds of researchers said they knew of colleagues, two-thirds of them, right? They knew of colleagues who had committed questionable practices, and one in seven said that included invented or inventing findings. See, they all live on grants, you see. And they want to please their masters and keep the grants going, so they, they fudge all the data. <clears throat> it says, but when scientists were asked about their own behavior, only 2% admitted to having faked results themselves. But they all knew. Two-thirds, you know, two-thirds of them knew others had done it. But only 2% admitted to having done it themselves. It says the findings published in the journal Public Library of Science are based on a review of 21 scientific misconduct surveys carried out between 1986 and 2005. The results paint a picture of a profession in which dishonesty and misrepresentation are widespread. Now, now when I say that, think of that uh, United Nations organization that's going to control our lives with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, because they've been proven to be such such liars, basically, so many times, but it doesn't matter because their bread and butter depends on it. It says here, on average, across the surveys, around 2% of scientists admitted they had fabricated, made up, falsified, or altered data to improve the outcome at least once. A further 34% admitted to other questionable research practices, including failing to present data that contradict one's own previous research and dropping observations or data points from analysis based on a gut feeling that they were inaccurate. In surveys that asked about the behavior of colleagues, 14% knew someone who had fabricated, falsified, or altered data, 
and up to 72% knew someone who had committed other questionable research practices. Misconduct was reported most frequently by medical researchers, suggesting a commercial pressure maybe puts extra pressure on them to have the right results. In other words, they lied to please their bosses, right? It's funny that because there was a, an article on the CBC a, a documentary a few years ago on a, a whole body of scientists and lab workers uh, who work for, uh, they're really freelance, but they, they work for big pharma companies and they're paid to always write the, the positive results on the tests for the various drugs and omit completely all the bad stuff. Back with more after this break. This is Cutting Through the Matrix, just finishing off an article from The Telegraph about how scientists quite commonly fudge the data that they're working on because they want to please their bosses and they want to keep the grants going, of course, because that's how they live, is on grants. And they fudge their statistics and they fudge their graphs. They love fudging graphs because they're very impressive. And, uh, and they all want to get their names in the books, you see having discovered this or that or the other because you see most of science is based on theory at least at the bottom level and the very high level way above the CIA uh, it's a different level altogether different kettle of fish but at the bottom it's all done by theory it says here Daniel Fanelli of the University of Edinburgh who carried out the investigation believes that high profile cases such as that of Kwang Woo Suk the South Korean scientist disgraced for fabricating human stem cell data are less unusual than is generally assumed. But that part there about uh, misconduct, it says, was, most, was reported most frequently by medical researchers. That's where the, that's where the most of it is. Medicine and pharma. And have whole teams paid to fudge all their data. Commonly, that's normal. That's normal. Quite something, eh? a scientific dictatorship, they say. Right? Scientific dictatorship. And, and talking about uh, how we're trained to, to believe the experts, because that's what Puxley and Russell said, that the public would be taught to, that, that the experts were right on everything, and that you could never really uh, trust your own judgments. You must go by the expert's opinion. The swine flu stuff, right? Swine flu diagnosis doubts prompt tests, we think. And this is from, this is June the 17th, 2009, from theguardian.co.uk. Scores of swine flu cases in Scotland may have been wrongly diagnosed by family doctors that emerged today, forcing health officials to abandon a new testing regime. Scottish ministers announced last week that GPs, general practitioners, were to be allowed to diagnose the virus at their surgeries rather than rely on lab tests. In other words, if you've got a sniffle, they're putting it down to swine flu. The number of cases, as soon as they gave them this, this right to do this by looking at the patient, it says the number of cases soared to 498 by the weekend, like immediate, right? Followed on Sunday by the first death of someone with swine flu outside America's victim, Jackie Fleming, 38 from 
Karen Wadrick Glasgow also had underlying health problems. After doctors reported 351 cases in Glasgow and Paisley yesterday, a dramatic increase on previous daily results, doubts emerged about the accuracy of their diagnosis. This evening, the Scottish Government confirmed that further analysis of these results suggested a large majority of these were wrong. As a result, every suspected case of H1N1 swine flu will now be checked by laboratories before being announced, before they, were even, they weren't even checking them with a swab test. Anyone with a bit of hay fever or a sniffle was diagnosed as having swine flu. Why? Because, you see, that's what they wanted as big numbers because the World Health Organization needs these big numbers to prove their right to exist as an authority. But without the numbers, they would be proven to be fake once more. See, they were fake before when they talked about the avian flu. That was going to kill us all. In fact, the World Health Organization said we'd all have AIDS or 15 years ago. We should all have been dead with AIDS 15 years ago. That never happened either. So they need numbers to prove they're right this time. I even have an article where they, they almost pleaded with another expert authority to, 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 to prove the swine flu was really going to be as bad as they said it was. That's amazing, eh? Scientific, the scientific dictatorship. And we're supposed to obey and bend over and get stabbed in the behind with their needles uh, on, on their say-so. Again, because the farmers say-so. And they've never yet had a flu vaccine out that's ever worked. That's printed every spring. They always have the wrong mixes. That's their excuse. Quite something, eh? And here's an older article, again, to do with scientists. And I've read this one before, and it was from The Observer, Sunday the 13th of August 2000. I've talked before about the GMO foods and how soya was at the forefront, one of the earliest altered, GMO-altered uh, things out there that we were in fact look at the incredible encouragement they had us to, to eat the stuff and the massive health campaign under the guise of health health campaign it was much better for you than, than beef steak and all the rest of it this is says and, and, and remember this is the year 2000 how they'll crush that and quieten this down soya alert over cancer and brain damage link by Anthony Barnett a health warning was sounded last night over the dangers of eating soya after two senior American government scientists revealed that chemicals in the product could increase the risk of breast cancer in women, brain damage in men, and abnormalities in infants. The disclosure which sent shockwaves through the multi-billion dollar food industry came after the scientists decided, now listen to this, these guys worked at the Food and Drug Administration, came after the scientists decided to break ranks with colleagues in the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and oppose this decision last year to approve a health claim that soya reduced the risk of heart disease. The soya manufacturers wanted them, the FDA to approve this under the guise it would help your heart, but they broke ranks back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
are cutting through the matrix. Reading from an article from the Observer to do with soya and how the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration of the U.S., had been asked to approve a health claim that soya reduced the risk of heart disease by the manufacturers and suppliers and associations. The two scientists broke rank with the rest of them, and I guess they, I'd like to know how many are, were in on the experiments and so on, in the analysis to find out what the percentage that would be of people with a conscience. It says they wrote an internal protest letter, letter a warning of 28 studies revealing the toxic effects of soya. You can imagine they wouldn't be too popular. In an interview with the Observer, one of the scientists, Daniel Dorge, an expert on soya, said, we have very real worries that this health claim will be used by the industry as an endorsement of much wider health benefits to soya beyond the heart. Research has shown a clear link, a clear link between soya and the potential for adverse effects in humans. BSE and other health scares, and that's what they were, were scares related to meat have led to rocketing sales of soya-related products in Britain, but it's not just vegetarian foods such as tofu that use soya. It's a key ingredient in products from meat sausages and fish fingers to salad creams and breakfast cereals. It's in most candies too. The concerns of Dorge and fellow FDA researcher Daniel Sheehan focus on chemicals in soya known as isoflavones, which have effects similar to the female hormone estrogen. What a coincidence, eh? What a coincidence that for 50 years, the same World Health Organization that wants to depopulate the planet in its own writings uh, reports that the, the male is becoming sterile. Every year it's worse and worse and worse. And I've done the reports before, I've gone over them on the air about the bisphenol A's and the plastics and, and, and the linings of tin cans and, and baby food and all the rest of it. And here we find that soya, one of the other things they're trying to push on everybody, has the same effect. It's another artificial estrogen, isoflavones. While these chemicals may help to prevent a range of conditions, including high cholesterol, they also lead to health problems in animals, including altering sexual development of fetuses and causing thyroid disorders. Although soy is thought to protect against breast cancer, some studies show that chemicals in soya may increase the chances of breast cancer, which uses estrogen-type hormones for growth. Now I'm going to put a link up too at the end of the show to Wise Up Journal, who's got other data to do with the breast cancer, other links from his site. So look at the cuttingswithmatrix.com for all, these, all the links from the topics of tonight's show. But to continue with this article here, it says, the letter to the FDA seen by the observer states, there's abundant evidence that some of the isoflavones found in soya demonstrate toxicity in estrogen-sensitive tissues and in the thyroid. Additionally, the adverse effects in humans occur in several tissues. During pregnancy in humans, isoflavones per se could be a risk factor for abnormal brain and reproductive tract development. That's exactly what the bisphenol A does as well to the male fetus between 8 and 12 weeks of pregnancy. This will frighten mothers who increasingly use soya milk for babies. George said they're exposing their children to chemicals which we know 
have adverse effects in animals. It's like doing a large, uncontrolled and unmonitored experiment on infants. Well, I'd alter that and say, no, they know exactly what they're doing. This kind of thing doesn't happen for years. And the studies proving the same things over and over without permission from the top. You see, there's a mandate underway of population reduction. A mandate. A scientific dictatorship, eh? We all do what we're told because experts say. And yet here's two guys that came out and went against it. So I'd like to know what happened to them as well. If anyone has a follow-up on this article and what did happen to them, I'd appreciate it if you send it to me. What a world we're living in today. What a world since 2001, when the New World Order came out in force, and recently at the G20, Mr. Brown, the Prime Minister of Britain, started off his speech calling it the New World Order. It's all out in the open. You know, they're standardizing the world, completely standardizing it. Everyone must fit into the same shoe must all be the same across the planet. And what they're going to do in the Middle East is secularize it. They must secularize every society because that's how they do business. You only do business with secular societies. That's in their mandates. Secularization. And the West, for, for all it has, is titular remnants of religions. And that's all they are, remnants. Most of them are just remnants now that play a role and join a club, basically, out of habit more than anything else. We're living in a secular humanist society, even if you belong to one of the regular old religions. Now, secular humanism is also listed, and look it up yourself, as a religion. So what gives these guys the right to, to destroy all other religions and replace it with their own? They believe they're superior, you see, because they've proven through generations of acquiring wealth and holding on to that wealth by reproducing through selective breeding, very, very selective breeding. They've held on to it because their children haven't gone off and been spendthrifts and drunk it all away or gambled it, that they have the right to rule all the rest of us. That's why. And we adapt and we adapt and we adapt to every change that comes along. How many articles have I read where they're altering the culture at school, and even in kindergarten, to raise generation, a generation growing up right now, totally brainwashed into the new greening society, where literally you'll be unable to converse from, to them or with them, standing from where we are today. Because they're like robots, totally, utterly brainwashed with scientific indoctrination, as Mr. Bertrand Russell called it. Scientific indoctrination. Here's an article here. As the people adapt and adapt and talk about trivia and send their children off to school. This is from The Telegraph. Teachers urged to join MI5. Now that's like the internal FBI. MI5 is attempting to recruit teachers as spies in a new recruitment drive. This 
is published 12th of June 2009. The security agency said teachers' people skills made them ideal candidates. The people skills. An ad placed in a trade paper argues school staff to apply because they can build trust and relationships with all sorts of individuals. The post for an operational intelligence officer carries a salary of £35,425 plus benefits, broadly similar to that of an experienced secondary school teacher. Teachers who successfully pass the recruitment process will find themselves taken out of the classroom and into the heart of intelligence gathering. Well, you see, they've already been in in intelligence gathering. If you see the sort of uh, questionnaires they hand out to the children about their home life and what dad does and how, what mum does and how they get on together and what opinions they have on different topics. You see, they've already been gathering intelligence. There are schools in the U.S. where a good majority of young males are on Ritalin and other medications, which are amphetamine speed, in other words, because the teachers have been doing the diagnosis. And any child you see, any male is a bit active, and that's how males are. Young males are very active. They're different from young females. That's called nature. They don't slow down and start thinking and taking anything seriously until that energy is gone when they're older. But you see, in the standardized world, we've got to all be the same. And remember, in their religion at the top, study communism, they say there is no difference between the man and the woman. Just your indoctrination, that's what they say. That's why that happens in the school. So what do you do when the, when the, when the males don't, don't, don't comply and sit quietly and attentively? Well, you drug them to prove that your theory is correct. Communism. Bush Sr., remember, was the first one to use the term commutarianism. There was no outcry from the public, like, that's awfully close to communism. No, you never heard that, not even from any reporter. Amazing, eh? And across whole countries, you have your little local news magazines or newspapers, and all you get is charity events by the by the Shriners or whatever in them. And you have community events and so on and so on. And I've said before that eventually in their beautiful controlled world, when there's a little gala in the local park, you better attend because your face will be looked for and you better be there. Or you'll be classed as being antisocial. And if it's an event where you dress up like a clown, you better go and get a clown's outfit and put it on. And a big red nose. I know something, most will do it. Most people will do it. Because they'll do anything to get along. Anything at all. They've already proven that many times over. Bend over, yet to be searched. Quite something. Now, there's a, a website, it's called voltairenet.org. It goes into some articles that are just touched on in the regular media. And this article here is about the CIA Pentagon to do with chips and 
how their system really works and how they view the future. It says here, first it was cattle, then it was pets, then Mexicans. Remember the Mexican workers for the government had to get chips put under the skin. Now the tribal areas of Pakistan where the CIA is equipping Pakistani tribesmen with secret transmitters to call in airstrikes targeting Al-Qaeda and Taliban militants. A drone guided by the signal from the chip destroys the building with a salvo of missiles scattering body parts everywhere. Will Americans and the rest of the free world be next? Well, you better believe it because they're talking about 30 years of rioting. Why do you think they're putting up all of the cameras across the Western world and have been doing it before 2001 in preparation for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years? And they want to have us all carrying ID chips, active ones, that can be read from a long distance, and have us all believe we're under imminent strikes from terrorists. That's why there's cops everywhere with guns and so on. Why do you think that's really all there? Why do you think that's really, really all there? You see, these countries they go into for conquest, and I should explain that too, to say they're, they're standardizing the world into the one system. And they actually have a part of their, their Pentagon is set up to do with, the, they call it revolutionary democracy. It means the right to go into a country under warfare, guise of warfare, and create a revolution from within once you've conquered them and forced democracy upon them. That's the right. I've read the articles before and given you links to even the videos from the BBC talking about this from guys involved in this network of revolutionary democracy. That was also part of the project for a new American century that Wolfowitz, Cheney, Rumsfeld, and all these boys belonged to. They published their findings twice in the 90s with a list of countries that have to demolish. We run according to an agenda, A, B, C, D, E, F, etc. It's an agenda. And then they turn and lie to the public to give an excuse because you must get the public on board when you want to go off and invade people. You must give them a valid reason. Which, and when there's none, none of them exist, you, you must lie through your teeth, which they do without a problem. But revolutionary democracy, to bring in a secularized society, standardize the world. Getting back to this article, it says here, and what I, what I mean to say too, is that every country they go into, they, they put up these cameras everywhere. And they can experiment further with chips and all the rest of it they can do back home. But this is all to be used back home as part of the new world order system. <clears throat> it says, will Americans and the rest of the free world be next? long perceived as a crazy conspiracy theory, radio frequency identification chips have surreptitiously penetrated every aspect of society and may soon literally get under our skin for ubiquitous surveillance. <clears throat> Back to Orwell, the future is now. <clears throat> and then it says here, what Pentagon theorists describe as a revolution in military affairs, and that's what they're calling it, RMA, leverages information technology to facilitate, so they allege, command decision-making processes and mission effectiveness. 
that is the waging of aggressive wars of conquest. If you don't see, if you cannot see that this is that they're talking about the, the this progressive war of conquest is on the entire world. Look what's look what's happened across the whole planet since two thousand and one. Every country has followed the same guidelines down to the to the letter. Meanwhile, we're distracted with just the Middle East. So much so, we don't see, wait a minute here, the waging of aggressive wars of conquest is also what's happening everywhere else. It's assumed that the U.S. technological preeminence referred to euphemistically by Air Force magazine as compressing the kill chain will assure American military hegemony well into the 21st century. Indeed, a 2001 study brought together analysts from a host of Pentagon agencies, as well as defense contractors, Boeing, Booz Allen Hamilton, and the MITRE Corporation, and consultants from ThoughtLink, Toffler Associates, interesting, eh? and the RAND Corporation, who proposed to do just that. As a result of this and other Pentagon-sponsored research, military operations from Afghanistan to Iraq and beyond aim for defined effect through kinetic and non-kinetic means. Leadership decapitation through preemptive strikes combined with psychological operations designed to pacify insurgent populations, and that means terrorize them. Well, what do you think they're doing back home and across the world right now? As they terrorize populations with their electrocution, or sorry, taser guns, and all this kind of stuff. Back with more after this break. through the Matrix, reading an article from Voltaire.net, and they have links from this article too to various articles put out by the Pentagon. One of them is called the, the Unconventional Warfare Doctrine. It says, in this respect, network-centric warfare, network-centric warfare, you see that's another term for total information network, network-centric warfare. Advocates believe the U.S. forces, now listen to this, can now dominate entire societies through ubiquitous surveillance. Now that means back home as well, you see. That's why this is all happening. Dominate entire societies. Remember Eisenhower said, I think it was Eisenhower said, beware of the military-industrial complex in one of his last speeches to the people. Network-centric warfare. And they always lie to you. They lie to you as they introduce it bit by bit to give you time to adapt to it, and they go on the next phase. Remember the cameras went up oh, only at intersections because with occasional accident there. Before you know it, they're all over the, the place, sprouting like weeds. Always lying, always lying. Network-centric warfare. A new world order and terrorism is worldwide. What do you think that means? There's a caller there, Karen from Oregon. I'll talk to her now. Is, is Karen there? Hi, Alan. Karen yes. is here. You're always such a happy guy to listen to. I know. It's amazing, <laughs> eh? <laughs> um, 
was listening to you talking about soy. Yes. And actually, I believe that it's the genetically altered soy that mm -hmm. is harmful, which unfortunately is most of the soy out there. And, yeah. of course, they can do anything they want to with a label, but there are a lot of studies that actually show that soy increases mental acuity and that it also, um, the isoflavones can increase the metabolism of endogenous estrogens to anti-carcinogenic metabolite. How is mm. that? <laughs> yeah, yeah but I think the studies have also shown the opposite as well. So you've got to understand that soy was promoted to be one of the biggest businesses in the planet. And massive campaigns uh, went into promoting it as a health product. And when you find where the money was coming from, I, I start to get suspicious. What? I really start to get suspicious. And plus, remember, too, that Toffler and others said the world we are bringing in will be a vegetarian society, and it must be so. Now we have the environmentalists under the who are still the eugenicists, but using the environment and so on, promoting nothing but vegetarianism. And there's Paul McCartney up this week promoting it, too, the, the vegetarian idea. You see, there's an agenda underway, and it's been underway for quite some time, not just our generation, but, but it's been underway for some time to promote this whole thing. Now, I've, I know lots of vegetarians, and I know ones that have died, uh, and, and really they've stuck to organic and all the rest of it to as, as best as they could, as they were aware of, and who have been diagnosed with cancers of this, that, and the other thing. So they're, they're dropping as well. Well, so really, uh, I'm very, very suspicious of this whole health movement, but we do know that under the guise of New World Order, they're bringing in a vegetarian society. And I'll guarantee you all will have eventually as a modified food to chomp on. It's all GMO uh, vegetables and so on, and soaked in pesticides, because it fits in with the agenda. And that's it for tonight from myself and Hamish from Ontario, Canada. Good night. May your God or your gods go with you.